0: I didn't even answer the one, because Pat was uh, it's like, right. man, I, I would never, I would, <laughs> wouldn't do that. I guess now people know if they play us, we're not going to hedge,
1: so. Or maybe you will. Maybe you'll <laughs> maybe throw a ball, Maybe you it's know? a trick.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah this is a big yeah. trick podcast. Red <laughs> yeah, yeah, Harry yeah. A little reverse psychology yeah. <laughs> on the pod. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian,
1: and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, Exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome Ludwigsburg head coach in Germany's top division, the BBL, Josh King. Coach King is here today to discuss teaching on and off-court consistency, thoughts on pace of play, and we talk beating the hedge and playing multiple point guards during a really fun start, sub, or sit. With members from the MBA to high school levels, we're excited to continue building a highly valuable learning and community platform called SG+. With SG+, we aim to bring the highest quality and deepest insights of the game from around the world on a weekly basis to our almost 600 video archive on SGTV, private coaching community app, and our long-read Sunday morning newsletter. If you're looking to explore and learn the game on a deeper level, or just save yourself time searching the internet for the best backdoor plays in Europe, visit slappingglass.com today and see why current members are calling it an essential platform for high-level coaching anywhere. We hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Josh King. Josh, thanks for making some time for us during the season for round two of this. We cannot wait to dive in with you.
0: I appreciate both you guys having me on. I didn't know I was one of the only ones that's been on twice. It's an honor. I appreciate it.
1: You and Jeff Van Gundy so far, and you were one of the original ones to come on and give us a shot really early on. So we appreciate it and excited to dive in with you. So let's start with this. You're in the middle of season right now and conversation we wanted to have is just around the concept of consistency and trying to build a team that's consistent in all phases of the game on the court off the court you know all those things as a staff and so for you where you're sitting right now during the season how are you thinking about trying to create a consistent team
0: that's a extremely loaded question i think every coach throughout the season struggles with keeping their team on task or or with consistency. That's something we talk about all the time here as a staff, you know, consistency to me, it's a decision a little bit, what you decide to do. Like (laughs) I decided this morning to brush my teeth. Why did I decide to get up this morning to brush my teeth? It's a decision I make every morning to do. And with our basketball team, I think early in the season, you got to have kind of a goal of what you want to accomplish. And then how are you going to put those things together To be a consistent club, every team goes through ups and downs, peaks and valleys, but how can you right the ship? And if you're a consistent team, more often than not, you can come out on top.
1: For sure. Pat and I, before we were talking a bunch about all the different areas of a team, a team can be consistent effort, execution, your prep, your, you know, all these things. I actually like to start with effort, just kind of diving in on trying to build into your team a consistent level of play effort wise and how you think about that.
0: Every coach, I would imagine, likes to think that effort is like a non-negotiable, right? We don't want to coach effort. We don't. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of times we end up coaching effort. If we're lucky, we don't. But most teams, even at this level, at some point, and that goes into consistency. You'd like to think every day you don't have to coach that. But there's certain times, for whatever reason, a player isn't consistent. I think those are non-negotiables that you have to kind of set the table early. I'm just thinking about in our league right now, we've got 18 teams in the BBL. And as I think about the best team in our league right now is the most consistent offensively and defensively. In basketball, you got two sides of the ball. I would say our team this year has been
2: really consistent on offense. On defense, we've been very inconsistent. Josh, when we stay on effort, when you're with your coaching staff, when you're thinking about practice or the week, like you said, sometimes you have to coach effort as much as we'd like not to. How are you thinking about how you can coach effort or structure the week, the practices so that effort's going to be required and that you can build this habit of them always giving effort?
0: Part of that's recruiting to your team early in the season when you're practicing more as opposed to now. I think it's the practices get a little bit shorter. That's universal. I think when you get later in the season, you can't practice as much practices get a little less lengthy. So the effort is always going to be there for the most part. Our thing is has been more consistency on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. Again, it's a tough topic, but we're just pushing guys every day to do the best they can. What we emphasize, we want to be a fast-paced team. We want to be a up-and-down team, offensively and defensively. And I think every day in practice, we try to practice that way so we can get that type of consistency. I think we're leading the league in scoring right now, or we're tied for the league. But if we want to play that way in a game, we have to practice that way. And in order to do that, we have to be consistently playing at a high pace every day.
1: Josh, you've coached teams that have had more veteran leadership, teams that are younger. Any difference in trying to build consistency with, let's say, a younger core versus an older core and the challenges that might come with both of those situations?
0: Yeah, I think We have actually have a decent mix here this year, but I would say more younger guys. We rely on some really young, talented guys to help us and to help us win games here. I think younger players, I think it's just the generational thing. You have to remind them constantly of everything and tell them everything and beyond them and have a constant line of communication. I think nowadays with younger players, they need more guidance than they used to. They need more structure, but at the same time, it can be a fine line. I think with older guys, vets, if you'd like to call them, you got to give them some rope, but Sometimes giving them too much leeway can be detrimental as well. So there's always that balance of letting them be themselves, but also like keeping them in line to what you want to do as the coach.
1: Josh, kind of while we're on this topic of veteran young, you yourself going from assistant coach to first year head coach a couple years ago, and now your learnings about, I guess, just becoming a head coach and yourself in having a consistent approach or things that you worry about now that you didn't or you let go of anything there from your standpoint now kind of a quick tangent to the coaching side for you this
0: is only my second year as a head coach i think one thing i'm learning is whatever you want to do whatever you playing style whatever type of rules discipline any type of structure you want you got to do it early on in the season i've learned i don't want to say the hard way but once you allow a team or a player, I don't want to say get away with, but allow them to start being inconsistent isn't the right word, but allowing them to get away with things or allowing them to go off your beaten path, it's hard to get them back in the right direction. Like for example, if you want to be a defensive team from day one, you have to preach defense. Or if you want to be a fast paced offensive team, I know I talked to a lot of coaching buddies of mine. It's like, Yeah, we got to get back to playing defense or we got to teach in February, they're talking about, but like, you can't teach defense in February. We got to be more defensive minded in February. That's got to be an August thing in Europe or or an October thing in college. So that's one thing I've learned that you, you have to set what you want right away and you can't wait
1: around. So my follow up then with that, has your approach changed from year one to year two on how, like when you thought about that going into year two here? Were you more, I guess, demanding, or did you think about that more in September or August for you this year? Again, this is my second year. So I've only got two years to compare. Kind
0: of going back to, I think in year two, one thing I've realized is like every player's different, no matter age. Like I know year one, I had like younger guys that acted like older guys. So I'm thinking like, oh, every younger guy is, oh, okay, yeah. And now this year I have young, talented guys, but they don't act like older guys. They act like guys that are 23, 24. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They're acting 23 or 24 because they are 23 or 24. Where I had last year, I had 23, 24-year-old who acted like they were 40. I think that's another important thing is like every player is different. They're not all going to be the same. And you have to be ready to
2: adapt to your players. And Josh, what you want to do day one, and you have to be consistent, you have to hold your players accountable. And you've mentioned a couple of times now that you've been through this season more inconsistent on the defensive side of the ball. So as you are now thinking about your defense and the standards, the non-negotiables, whatever we want to call them, that you are holding your guys to, how are you approaching just getting consistent on defense? You wouldn't believe it by watching us play, but I tell my team president this all the time. We work
0: on defense and my assistants and I, if we have a hundred minute practice, we're focusing on defense for 80 minutes of it. Again, what's emphasized in practice every day is the message to the players. I think it's really hard in this day and age, especially when you have a younger team to get them to focus on defense. That's one thing I've learned because we're in an age where offenses, that baseball commercial, chicks dig the long ball. Well, chicks dig the three ball now. And that's what sells and highlights. Players want content. They don't want defensive content. They want offensive content. They want to see the dunk or the highlights. So it's just reminding these guys on a daily basis. When we watch film, it's all mostly defensive stuff. Very rarely do we watch offense. This year, it's been, hey guys, if you play defense, if you commit to trying as hard as you can and and doing what we're preaching, then on offense, you get a lot of freedom. And that's kind of the sell to our players here.
1: You've mentioned a couple of times about the inconsistency defensively trying to work. Now you've talked about, you know, working on it 80% of the time in practice. How are you and your staff thinking about doubling down on what you're already doing versus, you know, if it's not working, tweaking a scheme, changing something up, the balance of just playing harder, playing better in what you do versus giving a curveball here and there to maybe potentially help.
0: The offenses in this league are so good. You have to keep Teams off balance a little bit. Like, you know, we've been traditionally here. We've had like really like one type of ball screen coverage defense. We've mixed ours up a little bit now. We're having two or three different ball screen coverages. Everyone's going to switching. But I tell you what, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but one thing that's worked a little bit this year and I've noticed is putting guys on the bench. Like if they don't do what they've been asked to do or they can't follow a simple assignment, bring the next guy in and it's amazing. Like I still think that's the best teacher sit a guy on the bench. You don't even really got to, Hey, give him a mistake or two. But after that, Hey, sit there, let's see if the next guy can do it. And usually the guy who messes up when he gets back in the game, he realizes what he did wrong
2: and he fixes it. And very early on, you said consistency is basically, it comes down to a lot of decisions. How maybe the approach of when you're trying to help your guys with decisions, and maybe this is more on now kind of player development or outside of team practices, are you just helping your guys with decisions, making the right to, on the court, of course, not about brushing their teeth. Hopefully they're doing that every day without you. <laughs> yeah, But yeah, just the decision side of being consistent.
0: When you talk about consistency, I think for guys, if they believe in what you're doing, if you have a plan for them, you want team guys, but each guy wants to individually succeed. And I think if you can convince your players to first buy into the team. But then if they can see with some of the consistency, they can start seeing some results and some wins or they have some individual success. I think it's easier for them to keep buying in and keep making the decision, which is consistency, to do the right thing day in and day out. So that's the key. Can they buy in? Can you get your players to believe in what you're doing? You can make a lot of comparisons here, but it's people trying to lose weight. Two weeks, they don't see any results they quit with the consistency, but if you just keep at it and you believe like eventually you're going to see change. And that's kind of what we preach here. It's just a stick with it, stay with it, keep going. I know it sounds simple, but those are like the things we tell our guys. You lose a game. That's okay. Like, let's keep going. Let's figure out what we did wrong here, but we've had enough success. And I think they've seen that if we stick to our principles, you know, we have the basic principles here. It's never going to be perfect, but if we stick to those, We're going to have
2: success, Josh. Speaking of buy-in, and you know, we've mentioned to placing demands. You said too, you've kind of using the bench as an accountability measure. As a younger coach, when you're obviously maybe a little bit more closer to age as your players, what are your thoughts, or what are you concerned about when you know you're going to be critical, you're going to be demanding, you got to get the buy-in, but maybe there's going to be more pushback because these guys maybe view you as also a peer, you know, in terms of age, you know, where maybe you don't have. Just being an older coach, you kind of have that built-in respect, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, or maybe they'll be more inclined to accept from an older coach versus when it's maybe a younger coach, maybe they're going to try to test the waters a little bit more.
0: That's an interesting question. I mean, of course, I think players are all the same. It doesn't matter if you're an older coach or a younger coach. Some players, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. I think there's got to be some type of communication. I think there's got to be some type of level of respect. Over here, it's a little bit different because I'm an American coach and I coach a lot of American guys and there's not a lot of us over here coaching. So I think sometimes it's a little bit different because I do understand where the guys are coming from a little bit more than other coaches do. So that can help them and it can hurt them because I don't think they can get over as easy on me because you know what I'm saying from a cultural standpoint, but there's going to have certain players that are going to try to test a coach. But I think there's just that communication and like level of respect. And if it goes too far, you got to have a conversation, but I don't worry about that too much.
1: Flip into the offensive side. I know we've kind of talked about defensive effort and consistency there, but when a player is struggling, maybe offensively, and I'm thinking here like shooting wise, where a good player, a good shooter, but the ball's not going in for whatever reason, and it's less about an effort thing. It's just more, it's not going in. How have you thought about playing through that, helping that player, you know, coaching that player through rough waters that way?
0: That's obviously, you know, a confidence issue with the player. The player needs trust from the coach. It's the coach's job to give that player confidence and trust. I've always said this. I know like if a player's going through like a shooting slump, we'll say, and get in the gym and get shots up. But I know this, until the player makes one in a game, they're not really going to get their con- They can shoot as many as they want to in an empty gym and, and get their reps, but they got to make one when the lights are on. And I think it's just emphasizing to the player, you got confidence in them. They can do it. You know, at this level, and I I hate to say this, I talk about this all the time with my college buddies. For the most part, we don't really talk so much about making and missing shots. Like if you get an open look, you got to hit it if that's your role, especially like if you're a shooter. We have a kid on the team now. Every time he shoots it, I think it's going in. If he doesn't shoot it, that's when he's coming out. If there's a certain player that's going through a slump, I think talking to him. but. Again, at the end of the day, the players got to be able to get through it. They've got to be mentally tough enough to find a way to get through it and perform in the game. Until they do it in the game, I have found they're not going to get out of their slump. They can have a good practice. They can make 10 threes in a row every day before they leave, but until they make one with the lights on, they're going to still struggle.
1: And with that, then when the player's in a slump or whatever it is, you just mentioned giving them confidence. And you said an interesting point about talking to college buddies about you know shots, selection, in the U S first, maybe here. Could you maybe just go a little deeper on that for a second about how you talk about shot selection or not in Europe versus what you hear from, you know, people here
0: in the States, we play a little bit different style than even like traditionally in Europe. I think we are one of the fastest paced teams in Europe here. So like, we don't want to take bad shots, but we also want to take, it's kind of like the old, like Dan Tony, like if there's five seconds off the shot clock and we have a spot up three in transition, I want guys to take this shot because to pass that shot up, to dribble the ball around, to get in some type of flow, then take a bad shot at the end of the shot clock. I would rather a guy take a good shot, no matter where the shot clock is. I mean, we have defined roles here on our team. I think like most players do, if you're a shooter, I want you to shoot it. Most of the guys on our team, We allow them to shoot threes. We want guys that can step out and stretch the defense. Again, we want guys to be confident and we don't talk too much about what's a good shot and what's a bad shot, to be
2: honest. If you're open, shoot it. That's what we say a lot of times. Josh, just quickly, because you have mentioned a lot in this conversation, you want to play with pace. I guess what's the most important thing to you for your offense when you talk about pace and kind of how you want your team to hit that pace? Well, the most
0: important thing, first off, is taking care of the ball. I worked for a guy, John Patrick. The one thing he always talked about, if you can have less turnovers and take more shots than your opponent, it's a formula to win. Obviously, you got to play some defense in there too. But when we play with pace, we want to take more shots than our opponents. We want to have less turnovers. That's kind of like our formula. But we play a lot out of drag screens. You know, I'm probably giving too much up, but not really. Every pregame speech, we want to pitch the ball ahead, drive and kick first and foremost on offense. And then if we don't get that, we want to get right into like a drag screen action where we get the ball moving from side to side. And most defenses, even here, if you get that ball moving once or twice, you're going to end up getting an open shot. And that's
2: why we want guys that can shoot from the outside, to be honest, like you're going to always get open looks. And with the drag screen, and maybe this goes back to decisions we were talking about, and Having younger players, what are you emphasizing or helping your guys to know like when to play the drag screen, but to get off of it? You know, I think a lot of coaches, you know, the struggle of we play a drag screen, but then that's like the only action because it's just the screener ball or doing a dance, trying to create something versus move off of it. Let's get to another action.
0: Yeah, I think with the young players, we've got some young players here. And that's the challenge. We've gotten better at it. If you don't have an advantage off that initial, get the ball moving. And a lot of times, everyone does it over here, especially in our league. But you play first drag screen, you play to the second side, then you get the top ball screen. And you give it up to get it back. That's especially with young American guards that are used to just being able to, for lack of a better term, just dribble the air out of the ball. It's really a challenge, but that's something we try to work more towards the preseason, just learning to get off the ball, get
2: off the ball, get back on the ball. And is it something if they go under that first drag screen? Are you still saying, let's get off of it, let's continue to flow? Or are you going to let, okay, now let's flip it, rescreen and try to attack that under? Now that's where we're starting to talk about our personnel. If it's someone
0: that's shooting that has the ability to shoot that, yeah, I think our players, for the most part, if you ask them, I don't want to give our scouting report away. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have certain guys that if a team wants to go under on that first drag, yeah, you have permission to shoot the ball. Some guys, you know, if they keep doing it, maybe at some point, see if you can hit one, but some guys get off of it to get the ball back.
1: Josh, there's certain conversations I've had with coaches over the years about the correlation between how fast you play offensively, the pace of your offense and your ability to guard on the defensive end and the half court. And, you know, the theory of if you're playing really fast pace offensively, harder to really be a top defensive team in the half court because of how fast you play or you're scattered, whatever it is. And as we've gone through this conversation, you've mentioned a couple of times about pace and defense and things like that. How much does how fast you play offensively and how you lock in on the half court come into your mind with that, I guess, thought or conversation on those two things being correlated?
0: I think there's a lot of correlation with that. Yeah, we play, I think we're averaging 90 a game and we're giving up 85. Now, 85 in our league is a lot of points. We'd like to be giving up 80, but if you're playing fast and we take the most shots, we have the most possessions, you're going to give up more points. I think it's just the way it goes. I mean, obviously we would like to be the fastest paced team on offense and the best defensive team. I'd like to know if there's a team out there that's like that. I know there's some teams in our league that are really good on both, and that's why they're at the top of the league. I would say our offense is more ahead of our defense, and that's just kind of the way this team went this year. When i say this i mean it we work a lot more on our defense but we've just morphed into a pretty good offensive team so far this year to answer your question it's really hard to be one of the best defensive teams if you're the best offensive team because if you're the best at both then you're not going to lose very many basketball games
1: right (laughs) and you're in good shape for sure yeah we're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms hoopsalytics a high-powered affordable an easy-to-use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available. Unlike other systems, Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you through video link stats, interactive shot charts, and other tools. Zero programming is required. For a free trial and to receive a 25% discount on the product, visit hoopsalytics.com slash glass that's hoopsalytics.com slash glass and now back to our conversation this has been great so far we'd like to transition now to a segment on the show we call start sub or sit mm-hmm. we've had you on the show a couple of years ago and we were doing overrated underrated and so now we're excited to switch and play a different game with you here so if you're ready, Josh, we'll dive in on this first one.
0: I'm ready. I was confused by overrated, underrated. I'm going to try my best here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we we had some fun with that. Hopefully this one's a little more straightforward for you. So this first start, sub, or sit has to do with trying to become more of a positionless team. And we're going to give you three different options that would be helpful when you're able to maybe slide a player up or down a position to be more positionless or to play smaller, or whatever it is, the style you want to play. So. Start, sober, sit, the start being what you think would be best or most important here for being positionless. So the first option is a four that can slide and guard a post on the opposite team. So kind of a bigger four that can defensively anchor in. The second option is a two guard that can slide and play the point for you, run your offense. And so you can not have to have, I guess, a traditional point in. The third option is a wing that can post. They can sign to the post as like a three and you can play through that post presence without a traditional four or five in that spot.
0: I'm going to sit the four or five option. I'm going to sub the wing option and I'm going to start the two one option.
1: Okay, Josh, I just want to dive right in with your start. Why is that so important for you? I think you can never have enough guys
0: that can play like on the ball when you're talking about positionless basketball. The more ball handlers you have out there, the more dangerous you are. I know a couple of years ago, we had four guys on our team that we played at the same time that ended up playing point guard in the Euroleague. bag Jalen Smith, Marcos Knight, Kadeem Carrington, and all those guys you could kind of say were a two. So the more two ones you have out there, I know we're talking about one, but I always think you're a dangerous basketball team. Obviously, size depends on how big they are, but I just think that's the way we want to play when you want to play fast. I want more ball handling.
1: And I guess like when you're doing that too, going back to your favorite, which is defense, how you think about when you're able to maybe put a couple of, I guess in this scenario, a two that can play the one, maybe a couple of bigger guards on the floor that can handle it, your ability to then defensively be bigger.
0: A lot of coaches say, I want two point guards on the floor. Ideally, I would like to have three point guards on the floor, obviously ones with size, but I don't think you can ever go wrong. And if you ever have five guys that could ever handle the ball. I don't know how you get beat. But anyhow, I want ball handling. I want playmaking
2: ability on the floor. Josh, like you said, trying to put more playmaking on the floor. If you look at now the offense, if you have the luxury of let's say, like you said, when you had those four guards and you're gonna look at your offense, I guess, what are concepts or how do you think about your offense so it is able to fit in with positionless players? You know, so you're not tied to like, yeah, I'd love to play him, but we don't run stuff that way or we can't play that way. How do you view then being a positionless offense and concepts? that you think work well with being able to be positionless. Obviously that would give you the ability to probably switch more if you got guys with size that can handle
0: on the defensive side, which is always to me the best way to play if you can. If you have the ability to switch, that's the easiest thing to do defensively. Can also give teams trouble that don't have ball handling out there. If you're switching on teams that have one playmaker, then they're going to really get jammed up. But obviously on offense, we're talking offense. If you have, you know, four ball handlers out there, To me, it's really easy then to get teams in rotations early with getting the ball ahead, driving and kicking and something. Again, if you give your players the freedom to take quick shots, I think you're going to get quick spot up three opportunities, drive kick. Just, I call them just teeing off. You know, you get a golfer up there on the tee box, ball's just sitting there. We take a lot of these shots every day, probably more than anybody, just spot up threes. And if you have a bunch of guys that can, dribble, pass, and shoot, you're going to get spot up three after spot up three.
1: I'd love to ask you about your sit for a second, which was the four that can guard a post in trying in all of this stuff. I guess like positionless basketball or being able to you know play different ways. You, a lot of it, you hear about a five or a four that's kind of interchangeable that can play perimeter, play in the post. That question aside, how do you think about your post players or your bigger players? and the skill sets that they need or that you work on so that they can play on both sides of the ball, I guess, and be effective.
0: The way we want to play here, we really want our post guys to be able to move their feet. We've got a lot of guys with versatility. That's why, again, this is our style. I'm not saying it's the right style, but like, if guys can't really move side to side and be able to switch onto these, again, in our league, there's guards that are really fast. We need our post players to be able to guard some of these guards in switching situations. So that's like a recruiting thing in our system. We want our fives and fours to almost be interchangeable. When you ask that question, I'm thinking about our team. Our fives are fours and our fours are fives. So like I guess you could say it's a luxury, but at the same time, I'm like, that's what we have here.
1: Yeah. And if I could follow up sort of the skill work with those two guys, I'm thinking about, you know, pick and roll, pick and pop, short roll versus handoffs versus post-up. You know, I guess the skill sets that you, I wouldn't say like, I mean, you'd love to have them be able to do all those things really well, but what's most important to your style with those guys to be able to either play through short rolls or handoffs?
0: I think most bigs aren't laterally quick. I would say even the bigs are getting more athletic and they got guard skills, but you know, for the way we want to play, we would like to pop and play out in space more. So we pop our bigs a lot and have them chase screen. When we say chase screen, to get a pop to where the big's got to guard him on a popping situation. Then we go chase the ball into a, a ball screen situation. So that X5 or whoever we're playing against, that big's running all over the court to where he's eventually going to be late to a certain pick and roll. So that's kind of like where we see our advantages with our bigs and
2: what we want to try to attack. All right, Josh, moving along, our next start subset for you has to do with the quick show pick and roll coverage. So when you're going to play a quick show coverage or a one-step hedge, let's say, we're going to give you three things that are your biggest priority or your biggest concern when you're going to play this coverage. Okay. Option one would be rim protection, just working with the big to make sure he can still get back and protect the rim. Is it taking away the short roll? that you may be opening up by being aggressive on the ball? Or is it working with the guard to reattach so the big's not going to stay that long so we need the guard to get back to the ball? This is good because we don't do this. So you're pretending like we are
0: hedging. We're quick hedging, which we don't do in our defense. (laughs) I'm thinking how we want to attack it, actually, while you're saying this. Okay. So to start, I mean, I can tell you, what I would be concerned with playing that defense is a lot of different things. That's why we don't like, yeah, you're vulnerable to a lot of different things. It depends who's quick hedging, but yeah, you let that five guy get behind you. You're giving up a dunk. If you get back too quick, the guard can keep it. He's got a lane to drive, kick out. It's why I don't like quick hedge. Okay. So, like,
2: so let's go back. So let's, I'm not confused. No, I can fix this. Okay. So let's flip it the other way. Let's say you're attacking the quick show. Good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Start over. sit now where you're going to look to attack. Is it trying to slip the big to get to the rim, get behind the coverage? Is it playing through a short roll, maybe slipping or letting them hedge, but knowing, okay, let's hit the short roll. Or is it telling your point guard, treat it like a drop coverage? You know, let them quick show, wait till he goes and then get downhill. Number one,
0: the point guard. This is where most American point guards will have trouble. If they came over, like they run into, and I don't know why coaches don't teach us a lot of times, the number one thing when the point guard is playing against the team, you know, and we've struggled with this, though, you have to like step back on the pick and roll. So the guard, if he steps back and keeps his dribble, everything is going to open up. And this is where offense can always beat defense. So now the point guard steps back as long as he doesn't pick his dribble up or run into the guy that's showing. He keeps his dribble and steps back. He's going to freeze the defense. Something's going to open up. Either the roll or the short roll is going to open up. Okay. If the big gets back quick enough, the guard's going to be late. So I think the most important thing is teaching your guards to step back there and then read. We always tell our guys, and maybe this is good or bad coaching. I don't know. We don't say, hey, you have to hit the short roll or, hey, you have to keep the ball. Whatever's open. You make that decision because I find if you say, hey, you have to do this. Well, sometimes that's not what's open. It can be something different on that particular situation. So you have to have a good guard that can keep his dribble, step back, and then something's going to be open. I think you have to know what you do if you hit the short roll. Are you cutting from the corner? Are you spacing out? All five guys have to know whatever way you decide to attack it. But I wouldn't give them just one
2: choice. Josh, if you're looking at attacking this coverage, is there maybe... In your schemes or your calls that you're going to try to let's attack this quick show to the single side or let's attack it to the two man side. I guess is there a preference with where you want your spacing and how you want to load up either in front or behind the screen? I tell you what, a lot of teams
0: do here. A lot of teams, quick hedge, that's kind of been the copycat thing here. Everyone's hedging. What a lot of teams now, they want you to attack to the two sides. So on that quick show, you pass like the hockey pass and then they have you covered. You know what I mean? So now you pass out that next pass to the two side. And now you have no advantage. I think hitting the short roll is probably the best because if you can get to the short roll, if you don't have a big that can get back quick enough, everything
2: kind of opens up. And now how do you attack out of the short roll? It doesn't matter if it's going to the one or the two side for us. Okay. And going back to our positionless conversation or you know what you're working on with your four or fives, what are you talking to them when they make that short roll catch? First, if they have a wide open
0: lane, go to the basket or off ball. What are our guys doing off the ball? They have read one, read two, read three. Read one's a baseline cut for us. Read two is you know we have a, a guard who's on the two side, flares out to like free throw line extended area. That's kind of what we're looking for on the in the short roll situation.
1: We're talking about a copycat league. A lot of teams are you know one step hedging, and I imagine conversations with your staff about whether you just accept the coverage and try to play through the advantage of just, you know, they're going to hedge and just play through the advantage versus trying to not let them hedge, maybe set a screen before the screen. So that guy's more drop or he's late or that forces a switch. And I'm sure it's contingent on who you're playing and all that sort of stuff. But I guess the sense of, do you accept the coverage that you're being thrown or you try to do something different so they don't get to the hedge and you can play through something you'd rather play through?
0: Not so much if teams are going to hedge, they're going to try to hedge anyway. We've gotten better at it, but we've actually struggled a little bit against the hedge this year, not getting rid of the ball, holding to the ball too long, point guard. I think if teams hedge though, if you can get rid of the ball and make a quick decision, something's going to open up. Yeah, we don't try to deter too much away from like trying to outthink the other team's defense so much. Like they're going to do what they do. We're going to do what we do. You know, we got some other different actions we can combat that with. But if a team hedges, we know going into kind of what our looks are.
1: Well, Josh, you're off the start, sub or sit, hot seat. That was great. I didn't even answer the one we got into like a long winded,
0: uh, but that was because Pat was, it's I was all like, right. man, I, I would never, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I guess now people know if they play us, we're not going to hedge.
1: So, or maybe you will, maybe you'll <laughs> maybe, throw a will. Curveball, maybe it's you a know? trip. Yeah. Nah, yeah. This is a big yeah. trip
2: podcast. <laughs> Harry. A little reverse psychology yeah. on the pod. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thanks for going through
1: with us. That was a lot of fun. We've got one more question for you before we end today. Before we do, thanks again for coming back for a second time. This was really fun for us. And uh, it's been fun watching you coach as well this year.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me come on, guys. This is always fun. And I enjoy listening to all the other much smarter guys you have on than me. (laughs) It's good. I look forward to catching it week to week. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Josh.
1: Josh, our last question for you that we ask all the guests to close here is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? It's definitely not Bitcoin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not using the little bit of money I've made coaching in Bitcoin. That's been terrible. But (laughs) I think for me, it's been coming over to Europe. This is year five for me now. I've met a lot of great coaches. I've seen a lot of great coaches. I worked under a really good coach here for three years. John Patrick and now I've gotten the opportunity to be my own kind of boss run my own program but I think coming over here has made me a much better coach I've seen great basketball and I've seen some of the best coaches in the world and I think it's prepared me a lot more than if I would have just stayed in the state so getting on the plane and coming over the waters to me has been the best investment for my basketball career all
1: right Pat always so much fun yeah Coach King, we've gotten a chance to get to know him over the years and he's done a great job going from assistant to uh, then he was in Czech Republic last year as a head coach and now taking over his first year with Ludwigsburg, and obviously a heck of a coach, but a really fun interview and just someone to talk to before and after as
2: well. Definitely. It's been fun to see his rise. And like you said, in five years coming out here, I mean, it's been pretty impressive. And I mean, every time we talk to him, it's always a good time. So we are glad to get him back on the podcast. For sure. He's always keeps us laughing
1: (laughs) and thinking too. I guess just getting into this right away and why we went with the consistency theme with him. I know you and I bounced a lot of ideas. You talked to Josh a little bit and we just kind of settled on this because like, as he mentioned with a younger team, like just the topic of trying to be consistent in a really, really good BBL league this year. And they've been, you know, towards the top all year, but he just talked about his struggle of trying to stay consistent, as he mentioned, on both sides of the ball. And so it was an interesting topic with him, especially with his team.
2: We appreciate him, one, being so open, you know, talking about his team right now. And I mean, that's where we got the idea just in our pre conversations. You know, he's saying, yeah, we're just consistency being their biggest issue. So it was fun to have him on, hear him share his thoughts. And, you know, I think I really like what he kind of opened with. It's just, decisions and just kind of being consistent as the decisions you make and how they're trying to help their guys make the right decisions and how they're thinking about their decisions as well uh, and what they demand of the guys and what they're trying to do just in all an attempt to be more consistent and like you said specifically on the defensive side of the ball yeah where it's a little bit tougher because it's at times the unglamorous side of the game right the buy-in comes a little bit quicker on the offensive end And again, all that went into all the, what he's thinking about and how he's trying to work kind of late season right now, just to get his team sharper. Yeah. I thought it was so many things were interesting
1: in there, but I think trying to just get that consistent effort defensively and how he's thinking about going about it and what's realistic, you know, with the style play and kind of how they try to hone in on that, I think was interesting. And I think I asked him midway through about learnings from year one to year two and becoming a head coach. And yeah. I thought within this consistency conversation, he was good at kind of centering around the theme of, and you mentioned it too, right before we hopped on, just knowing who you are as opposed to what maybe looks cool or what maybe someone else does. And I think Josh has a good sense of who he is as a coach of what he can coach to and what his team is really good at. And I know Jeff Van Gundy on this podcast talked about, you've got to be an expert on your own team. No matter what else is out there, that's what you have to do. And I think Josh that comes through, he knows his team, he knows who he is and what he likes and what he can coach to and building the consistency around that, I thought was something that kind of shone through from my end.
2: I wrote down the fight or the battle between who you are, who your team is versus like what you want your team to be. You know, as Josh said, I mean, of course he wants to be a top offense and top defense. I mean, so does everyone, but yeah, their team plays better, fast pace. And you brought up the point too of just the relationship between if we're going to play faster with more possessions, just, you know, does it make it harder to get stops or teams aren't routinely going to be then kind of from a stat standpoint, yeah, top of the league defensively, but it's understanding like, but that gives them the best chance to be successful offensively. That's when they're at their best. And so I guess it's more referencing to the show Reeve kind of just like moving the needle, how he can move the needle defensively just to get better, but getting consistent in what we do, but maybe it's never going to be perfect, I think was kind of where the conversation settled on. For sure.
1: We had a first time, I think is was the first time on the podcast, a live <laughs> impromptu change up by yeah, yeah. you on start subset <laughs> A refusal. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah we we just completely reversed it but speaking about the quick show and we gave him the defensive side first and then you know him just saying well we we don't do that so you flipping it to the offense (laughs) led to a good conversation
2: yeah yeah i agree i mean i think the big takeaway i had was yeah i just like you know there's so many different ways we can attack it we've talked about it but just the teaching point he gives his guard is you know take that one side dribble that backup dribble yeah and just like allow things to happen. And then you're reading, is it the throw ahead pass? Is it the short roll? Is it you can get downhill? So I just kind of like that. I mean, always looking for teaching points to take away, to talk with your guard. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, obviously first don't keep your dribble and don't run in to the quick show or the big, but you know, if you can have this patience, keep your dribble alive, just allow that second to breathe, you know, then your attack will kind of present itself.
1: you brought up the point treating it like a drop coverage
2: yeah i believe it was coach Schiller when we did inside the set with him that's right brought us onto that thought just treat it like a drop
1: right and coach Schiller, he was great on the podcast as well so shout out to him yeah so that starts up it was great i think the positionless one was also fun hearing his thoughts on you know fours versus fives and how they're interchangeable i liked his thoughts a lot on guard play too and yeah the more guards you can have that can handle it i mean I know it makes sense in theory, but to hear him really talk about why and how and you know, maybe kind of roster construction allows you to have more guards to play positionless, to handle pressure, all these little things, these nuances of pick and rolls and traps. And we were talking after about a little bit of full court pressure stuff. It becomes a lot easier with multiple guards on the floor,
2: that's for sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I like too, when you followed up about just the four to five, and I think it, it turned into a conversation of, he looks to attack like the lack of lateral quickness and playing out of the pop right. to get it to a chase ball screen. Yeah, I like that. Just getting in these guys' heads, the reasonings behind what they do, and picking on like, yeah, maybe they're getting, like you said, more athletic and rim threats, but he still finds that lateral quickness is still advantageous for the offense or a weakness to attack and how they use the pop to kind of right. that. I wrote that down too here to just
1: quickly discuss the pop to chase. I know we've done some stuff on that before, but I think conversations we've had sort of coaches off season and moving into the summer how many teams are looking at like maybe not rolling yeah. that first time in the on ball but popping to chase to the next action and seeing if you can kind of test the defensive five and the other you know four perimeter defenders instead of just getting locked in on a early middle pick and roll or slot pick and roll and playing through that roll and lift but pop maybe burn cut if it's to a two side or just get straight to another empty side, whatever it is you're going to do and see if you can make that defense guard something out of an initial pop rather than an initial roll, I think is like Northwest Missouri State, Ben McCollum. We talked to him a lot about that pop of that first guy and playing to it. And so it's interesting to hear him talk about that and kind of at that level to see if they can test that defense.
2: Yeah. And it's another way too. I think I know you did ask the question about when you're thinking of, attacking coverages you know versus okay accepting it or kind of killing the coverage or killing it yeah you know popping is another way like you said we'll let them hedge we're going to pop it basically the second action is the main action where now can they still hedge can they still be aggressive going to be tough and now you've taken them out of their go-to coverage or base coverage
1: yeah Yeah, for sure the pop to chase at lower levels is a little easier to teach than the short roll catch corner cut or burn like High school, college, you got to really have a good team that can do that. And even though the short roll is so hard to guard, to make that little pocket pass to a five that can catch it, make a decision is really great. Higher levels and obviously teams that can do it at the college and high school level is great too. But just kind of popping that guy instead is an easier pass, one for the guard, and then a little bit easier decision, I think, for the big to then maybe get to another side at the lower levels and then, you know, obviously it works going up the chain too.
2: Definitely. And I think as we move into maybe some yeah, questions I would have liked to ask, or in this case a follow-up, when I asked, you know, coach King about when they do play through that short role, it was partly my fault. The question I was hoping to get or the conversation was, yeah, more on like that, maybe the skill development, because it is a tough catch. Like kind of like when you enter a high post and against a zone offense, like, yeah you know, and you can talk about the reads and it sounds simple enough, but when you get there and there's just all this action going around you can be difficult and it can be difficult to get the pass there in in a short roll. So, you know, I wish I had followed up or maybe kind of picked that a little bit more, kind of more of the nuance details of it.
1: Yeah. It is a tough area to catch and make a decision. I mean, like I said, it looks good and it is good, but it definitely requires work and I was playing with our guys the other day. I short rolled and caught it and turned it over right away, you
2: know, so <laughs> that's because no one was cutting
1: <laughs> no, nobody was guarding me either. They all spread and <laughs> let me shoot. kicked it out of bounds, but, um, well, it was really fun as all these are, and he had us laughing before and after yeah. like he usually does. And so we thank him for that again i don't know if you could hear the whole time pat i had a couch moving in in the background no, and also houses in yeah. <laughs> <and> construction so <laughs> it was was a lot going on over here on my part uh, during it you're but, fighting uh, the elements yeah exactly but well we appreciate everyone listening pat if there's nothing else we'll wrap this thing up sounds good all right see you next week thank you so much for listening to this episode Please make sure to visit SlappingGlass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like Slapping (laughs) Backboard. Slapping Glass. (laughs) Slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. (laughs) Slapping Glass.